Let's just pray before um, before the sermon. Father God, help us to understand your word. Help us to uh, live it out um, and to and to love it, God. And to love it as we live it out, uh, for that is that is ultimately good. And so, Jesus, we we pray this all in in your name. Amen. So I was in Rome uh, a few years ago. It was quite a few years ago. I was, I was only only a child when I went. But as I was there, um, I was I remember walking around and I saw a good few fountains. There's lovely architecture in Rome, and 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 there's a multitude of of fountains. And uh, I remember what was most captivating about these fountains was the way in which the water spouted spouted out of the fountain head and in many different directions and in various ways and that's what made it beautiful to look at but imagine for a moment a fountain which is empty it might still be nice to look look at but it wouldn't be would be no different than say a statue it wouldn't really be a fountain because what makes a fountain a fountain is the way in which the water spurts out or and and, and trickles onto the um onto the reservoir below. So imagine there's a fountain which is, is empty. And the creator of this fountain would surely not be very impressed by this because he created it for the water to flow out of it. But there's no water in it. So what does he do? Well, he fills the reservoir with water and he turns on the pumps and the water comes up through the pumps and it does what it's supposed to do and it looks it looks beautiful. It looks pleasing. And he's, he is pleased by it. This is what he designed. And it's doing, it's, it's fulfilling its, its purpose. And so, this, this might seem slightly disconnected, but stay, stay with me. Uh, I've, got a, I've got a point. Um, one, one of the problems in, in today's thinking in, in the culture is that we don't really know where love comes from. We have various ideas of, of where love comes from um, in, in the broader culture. Uh, one of the common phrases uh, I hear quite a lot is, is, you know, you must love yourself before you can love anybody else. And, well, sure, there's an element of truth in that. After all, didn't Jesus say one of the, the greatest commandments is to love your neighbor as yourself? But when we isolate loving your neighbor from yourself, or loving your neighbor as yourself, when we isolate that statement from the one he said directly before, well then problems can arise. Uh, we can begin believing that love comes from within ourselves. But what Jesus said before uh, is inseparably linked to loving our neighbors and to, to loving ourselves as well actually. What did he say? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. We can only love our neighbors when we first not love ourselves, not, not, not ourselves, but we can only love our neighbors when, when we first love God. That's where love comes from. Love comes from, from God. So the church is a fountain created by God. 
the church was created by God to love, to love him and, and therefore enjoy him. And, and in doing this, we also love our neighbors. So just as the creator of the fountain saw the problem that there was no water in the fountain, so does God give us his love. And he gives us the Holy Spirit and, and the Holy Spirit stirs this affection up in our hearts and he, he brings us up to see, to see and love and enjoy and to taste Christ. And in doing so, when we, we, we see and we love and we taste and we enjoy Christ, we, we begin to love what he loves and we begin to enjoy what he enjoys. But up until this point, there's still something lacking, isn't there? It's all inward, it's all inward. So we are at the fountainhead, we are at Christ, we, we see him, we love him, we, we taste and enjoy what he enjoys. But there's not yet been an outward expression of that love. The water isn't trickling onto the reservoir beneath yet. And so there must, it's necessary that there has to be an outward expression of this love. There has to be a manifestation of this love. And so as we have been brought up into the heavenly places by the Spirit, uh, through Christ, the overflowing affection from Christ is, is sprinkled onto the church. We, our love is, is sprinkled onto the church. Our love is the same as his love. He loves the church and so do we? we. It is an overflowing love from, from God. And so, you know, this is a beautiful side, isn't it? Uh, a church that is deeply affectionate, loving God and, and loving each other in whatever way we can, in serving each other in, in whatever way we can. Uh, a church praying for one another, encouraging one another. But, and at the core of, of everything, at the core of the life of the church and the thought of the church, God is. He is there and he is sustaining it all too. But why? Why love the church? Why enjoy and appreciate all, all of us in, in, in this church? What's the point? To the glory and praise of God. The church is a fountain of affection, of, of love, and it's a beautiful thing to see the church fulfilling its purpose in, in loving each other. It's been a very long introduction, but I hope it will sh shed some light on uh, the later parts of the, of the passage in Philippians 1. A little bit of background to Philippians. Uh, so the apostle wrote, Paul wrote this letter. He wrote uh, this letter to the Philippian church. Uh, whilst he was in prison, which is quite a remarkable thing, actually, because this letter is just so filled with, with joy. And uh, I'll talk about, about this a, a little bit later on. It's, it's one of the most joy-filled epistles in, in the New Testament. And there are very strong themes in Philippians of fellowship, of joy, of love and assurance, uh, all grounded in God, all grounded in God and his gospel. Um, so in Philippians 1 to, 1 to 11, Paul is going to introduce some of these themes. Uh, and, and this evening, I'd like to touch uh, on, on, on some of them and, and show uh, how these themes, joy, 
fellowship, uh, assurance, and, and love all fit together. And they're all grounded in God and, and his gospel. That's uh, what I'd like to speak on. So I'm not going to touch much on uh, verses 1 to 2, but I'd just like to, to point this out. Um, notice how, how Paul addresses the church at Philippi. He writes to them, he says, to all gods, all the saints at Philippi. Uh, now, this is, this is quite important because uh, at the time of, of writing, there was an argument between two church members, two women in the church uh, called Yodia and, and Syntyk, and they were, uh, there was some argument between them. And this was creating, or, or there was a potential of, of division forming in the church and disunity forming in the church. So Paul is being very, very careful to include all the, the members at Philippi, all of the saints at Philippi. Um, and I think I'd I just, I just like to point that out because it'll shed some light on why he's saying some of, these, some of the things he says later on in this passage. So the first, first point I want to argue from this text is that the gospel is the grounds for joy and for fellowship in the church. The gospel is the grounds for, for fellowship and, and joy in the church. So Paul begins verse th- uh, three and four by writing of the joy he has in remembering uh, uh, and praying for the Philippian church. But what's interesting is that he, he doesn't begin by thanking the Philippians for all these great memories that, uh, that they have created for him. He doesn't thank the Philippians, but he, rather he thanks God for the Philippians. And that's, that's a very key point. He, he, he thanks God, and it, so it seems that God is the one who deserves the praise and thanks for these memories for, uh, of, of the Philippians. But why is this? Why do you think this is? Well, if we go to the next couple of verses, verses five and six, I think the picture becomes a lot clearer as to what Paul is, is talking about. What, what exactly is filling with Paul with, with joy as he thinks of the Philippians is because of their sustained partnership in the gospel. And that's in verse 5, and it's, and it's the fact that God has saved them and is preserving them and is keeping them until Jesus comes again, and that's verse six. So what grounds Paul's joy in the Philippians? Well, it's God and his gospel. That's what grounds Paul's joy in the Philippians. That's what, uh, that's what he thanks God for, for saving them, for preserving them, and keeping them as partners in his gospel. Joy, it's, it's not a flippant thing, so it's not, it, it, it's, it's not a fleeting reality, uh, coming and, and going, coming and going. Uh, it's not temporary, but joy is a constant. It is a constant reality. It's, it's an unchangeable reality. It's a firm foundation. And so the reason for this is, the reason why Joy in the Christian context is, is firm and, and fixed is because God, if, if, if God, if, if our joy is grounded in God, then God doesn't change, does he? And so how can our joy change if, if, if God's joy doesn't 
change, if, if God doesn't change? And how can uh, we, how, how can Paul not feel joy in the Philippians? Because the gospel doesn't change either. And their belief in the gospel doesn't change because God is holding them, he's keeping them. And so if God doesn't change and the gospel doesn't change, then his joy is firmly fixed. And if Paul, sorry, if God both initiates and, and sustains or preserves salvation, then surely, surely the glory belongs to God. And that's why he gives thanks to God first and not to the Philippians first. And you know, it's, it's just what's, what's wonderful about this is that when we appreciate and, and when we delight in our brothers and sisters, when we, when we delight in each other, and when we appreciate each other because of our common salvation, because of the God who saved us, the God who sent his son to die for us, when we appreciate each other on those grounds, then we are fulfilling our purpose. We are doing what the Creator wants us to do. We are glorifying God and enjoying Him. And when we enjoy each other, we are effectively enjoying God. By enjoying the, the fellowship we have with each other, uh, being grounded in Him and in His gospel. And that, uh, and, and when, when we enjoy God, when, when our joy is found in God, well, that's, that's the only real source of, of lasting happiness, isn't it? That's the only source of, of true joy. Because everything else is fleeting. Everything else comes and, and goes as it, as it will. It's all based in circumstance, but not the joy that comes from knowing God and from knowing our brothers and sisters in God as well. The second point, uh, which follows on from the previous one, is if God in the gospel grounds our joy and fellowship, then uh, if God in the gospel grounds our joy and fellowship, then it is unshakable and indestructible. I touched on this a wee bit, but I'll, I'll expand on that a wee bit, uh, a bit more. So I mentioned earlier that it's a remarkable thing that, uh, that Paul speaks so much of joy whilst being in prison. And the reason for this is that uh, his joy transcends his circumstance. And so if, if, if joy transcend, transcends circumstance, then that means uh, our circumstances, uh, they are, they'll, not, they'll not take away our joy. They can't destroy our joy. They can't take away from it. They, uh, and, and I'll illustrate this in, in, in two ways. Uh, the first illustration, I'll, I'll, I'll tell a, a short parable. So a boy excitedly opens up his presents on Christmas morning. He sees a, a box with a small envelope on it say, saying, from mum and dad. The boy rips off the envelope and throws it away. And he, he, he rips open the box. He doesn't acknowledge his parents at all. He, he opens the box and in it he sees a toy car. And he loves it. 
he, he, he gets excited and he, he gets the toy car out and he zooms it around the room and he, he, he's going at it for, for hours and he, uh, after, after a couple of hours he gets quite rough with it and he zooms it, it's banging into a wall and the toy car just shatters into pieces. All now he can see is, is little tiny pieces of plastic. So what happens is joy that he once had. Uh, well, it turns into sadness, doesn't it? And why, why does it turn into sadness? Because his joy was placed in a piece of plastic. That's where his joy came from. And if, if he just looked up, if he, if he opened up the envelope as well, and he read the carefully noted um, letter to, his, to, to him, and if he looked up and he, he, he looked at his parents, he would, he would actually feel real joy. This would be a r- real joy because the, the, the joy isn't in the gift itself, but it's rather in receiving the gift from the giver. The real joy is, is, is in that carefully written and, and lovingly written note to him. That would be where real joy is from. And I'll illustrate in, in, in another way. And this one comes from the passage. So Christian joy transcends circumstance in, in another way. So as, as we, we know Paul is in prison, separated from the Philippians, and it's hard to be separated from the ones we love, isn't it? It's, it's hard to be separated from the ones that, that we care about. So how is it that he can rejoice over them whilst being separated from them? And the answer is that, that he can rejoice over them because his joy isn't placed merely in him or in them, sorry, but it's placed in God working in and through them. He wrote in verse seven, it is right for me to feel this way about you all about all of you, since I have, uh, I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. So it's right for me to feel this way. It's, it's right for Paul to feel this way because, because me and you, we, we all share in God's grace. We all share in, in his everlasting and his never-ceasing grace. And that transcends circumstance, doesn't it? Because if our joy is found in a singular gift, in maybe being with the ones we love, in, in Paul being with the Philippians, if that's where his, his joy was found, then being separated from them would be agony. It would be pain. And it, it probably was to a certain extent. But because his his, his joy was found in the giver of that gift. It's God who places us in the places we are. It's God who places those people that we love in, in, our, in our lives. And because it's, it's in the giver of the gift, the joy is in the giver of the gift, then that can surely be given again. Or it can be given in, in eternity. And it, be, it could be given uh, in, in trust. Um, and it's our joy is is found in in Him, in the never ceasing grace of God, and that's that's real, real joy. If grace doesn't cease, if it doesn't 
cease, then how can we, our joy run out? If God's grace doesn't run out, then how can our joy in, in him run out? It's, it's not possible. It's not possible if our joy is grounded in God. So verse seven, uh, you know, verse seven always paints this picture in my head for some reason, uh, where we, the church, all sit at a banquet. Uh, we all sit at the banquet of, of God's grace. And here at the banquet table, the distinguished apostles share the same meal as we do. We all feast in a joyful community. And at the head of the table is, is the provider of the banquet. He's the one who's providing the grace, who's, who's giving out the grace, who's dishing out the grace in abundance. And we, the church, are, are receiving this. And, and there's, we, the church, every tribe, every, every nation, every tongue, all seated at this table, all sharing the same meal all sharing in, in the grace of God. And everyone at the table has this profound care for each other. Everyone has this profound love for each other, a profound delight in each other, uh, an appreciation of each other. There's no bitterness, there's no, no envy, there's no resentment. There's just love. There's joy. There's fellowship. And there's an immense gratitude to the provider. And there's an immense gratitude to God. And I think that's, that's a picture of unity. Uh, that's a, that's a, a grand picture of unity. And it's a picture that, that pleases the creator. But sadly, we live in a fallen world where bitterness and envy and, and resentment still permeate the church. The Philippian church at this time was, was facing potential disunity. Uh, and Paul is writing very precisely, as I said earlier, and, and, and very pastorally to this church. You know, keep the priority the priority. Keep God at the center. Keep God at the center of the life of the church and keep the gospel at the center of the, the, the thoughts of the church and the thoughts of, of one another and rejoice in one another. Appreciate one another because we are saved by God. Rejoice in, in our common salvation and rejoice at, at the banquet of, of grace that we fellowship in. You know, this is surely a word for today. And I wanna make, make it clear that I don't speak of this church in particular, but I speak of, of a trend across uh, the wider church. Uh, I fear that there's, there's a potential disunity forming in the church as political beliefs come closer and, and closer to the center of our conversations and, and, our, and I do believe these, these beliefs are, are important. These political beliefs are important and, and we need to think about these. But I do fear that uh, we're giving too much attention to these political beliefs. And if it's true that what we give attention to are the things that we most value, what we think matters, you know, if that's true, then I fear 
the, the political beliefs are, are being valued more than, than our theological ones, the, the ones that we believe about the gospel. Or even worse, there could be potential, uh, it could be the potential of our, our political beliefs changing our theological ones when it should be the other way around. Our, our theological beliefs change our political beliefs. And you know, this, this di- diagnosis, the diagnosis of this, sorry, is, is that we, the broader church, are far too focused on what the news says or what the media says than we are focused on what the Word of God says. We are given too much attention to science, or, or more specifically, the scientists, than, uh, and to government policy than, than we are to giving attention to the Bible. And I know the situation is quite complex today, um, but I believe this is a time that our church needs to, to, to regather uh, their thoughts, to, to seek the ancient path, to, to keep the priority the priority, uh, to keep the center of our thinking and of our conversations uh, around the gospel and, and, and on God. And it's a time to rejoice in, in our common salvation as well. And if we do this, then surely our fellowship and our unity and our joy if, if all this is reinforced and grounded in God and, and in the gospel, then surely our, our unity will be indestructible and our unity will be very, very strong and will produce something very, very beautiful as well. And don't get me wrong, I, I do believe that the political and cultural discussions need to be had and, and are very po- important, but... Again, I think we need to take a step back and, and rejoice in, in God and, and in his salvation. And we need to gather around and, and give attention to God's word. Um, these trends are not so close to us yet, but uh, they, they could well be on, on their way. And it's a time where we need to think around this as well. Uh, so far, we've, we've heard, uh, turn back to the passage, we've heard that, that God in the gospel grounds the, the church's joy and, and fellowship, uh, and that joy and, and fellowship come from God. And we heard that if our joy and fellowship are grounded in God and in the gospel, then our joyful fellowship will form an unshakable and indestructible unity. Finally, in verses 8 to 11, Paul gives us a picture of what this joyful fellowship looks like. And he tells us the purpose of this fellowship. In verse 8, Paul wrote that he yearns for the Philippians with the affection of Christ Jesus. This is strange wording, isn't it? The affection of Christ Jesus. But if we think about it, this is the nature of true Christian love. Remember, at the beginning of the sermon, uh, when when we spoke about the the empty fountain, um, we have no love in and of ourselves, but love comes from, from God and uh, it's, it, it comes from, uh, and, our, and Christian love it, it isn't just imitating Jesus. It's not, it's not just copying Jesus, but it rather it comes from Jesus and is exactly the same as Jesus' love. Uh, love comes from God, and, and the love he gives us is, it is the affection of Christ Jesus. Christian love isn't just imitating, but it's, it's working out 
the love of God. It's, it's working out what God has worked into us. That's what Christian love looks like. And so just as water came out of the fountain, uh, head in the fountain analogy, so does our, our love come through Jesus Christ. And, and therefore our love is at one. It, it is one with his love. And in Paul's prayer, he tells us uh, how to love as well. He tells us what it looks like. You see, love, it's incomplete without an outward expression. It's, it's, it's incomplete without a manifestation of that love. Like the fountain was incomplete without the water spouting out of the fountainhead, so is our love incomplete without acting on that affection. Think of your darling wife or your darling husband. Uh, if you feel love for them, that love is made complete and maybe saying, uh, I love you, or maybe in looking longingly into their eyes, or by getting up and, and doing the dishes, your, your love is complete by an outward action. Um, and so Paul's affection, Paul's affection in, in, in verse nine, or verse eight and nine, sorry, is completed by his prayer for them. He, he, he completes that affection, the affection of Christ Jesus, in, in praying for them. And his prayer was that their love would abound more and more with knowledge and insight. And knowledge, or, or love without knowledge is, is a dangerous thing. So it is. Imagine buying a gift for somebody that you don't know. That's, that's a pretty tough thing to do, isn't it? Because you don't know what they like. Um, you don't know anything about them. Or giving counsel to a person you don't know is a very tough thing as well because you don't know them. So it's, it's hard to love somebody you don't really know that well. And so love requires, it requires knowledge. Uh, or, or good love, excellent love requires knowledge. And love with knowledge grows over time. It abounds, it abounds. When I serve you, you serve me. And, when I, and you serve me, I serve you. And when you serve me, I serve you. That's what love looks like. And so uh, this, this prayer that their, their love would abound more and more uh, with knowledge and insight uh, is, is a very important thing to, to understand. Uh, and whilst we are ultimately dependent on God for, for his love, uh, you know, the church needs each other as well. It needs each, other, uh, uh, each other's love to grow so that we might be more complete, more filled filled with the fruit of righteousness, filled with love. As our love grows, we, we are being filled more with, with love for Jesus, for the day of Christ. And when he comes again to, to judge and, um, and when he comes and, and sees a church that, that loves and that grows in love, it pleases him. So I'd, I'd maybe encourage you all, um, and likewise for me, to maybe invite, maybe God's been, been putting a burden on your heart to, to get to know somebody in the church. Um, and, you know, let this be encouragement to, you know, invite somebody out for coffee or invite somebody around to your house so that you might get to know them a little bit more and, uh, and so that our love as a congregation would, would grow and, and grow.
That's a, that's a beautiful thing, isn't it? Because it's, it's what we were created to do. It's a fountain that, that works. You know, I've gone, to, gone on too long, apologies, but let me end with, with this. Um, all of what has been written in Philippians 1, 1 to 11 reaches its, its climax uh, in verses 11. Why is God and the gospel the only grounds for this joyful and loving fellowship? What, why, why is it? What is, what is the ultimate purpose? That we would be filled with love through Jesus Christ, the fountainhead, through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. We are a fountain completed when affection flows through the fountainhead and is expressed onto the church. And that's, we are a church that's, that's complete. And when the creator looks at this, he's pleased. He, he sees it as a, as a pleasant sight and it's all in the name of and for the sake of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father God, this is a very difficult passage to wrap our heads around, but it gets right to the core of why the church exists. And Lord, we are not, we, we cannot love in and of ourselves, but we desperately need you, God, to fill us with love. Love for one another and, and, and love for you and love for, for everybody else as well, God. Lord, we desperately need you to fill us with love so that you might be pleased and so that you might be glorified and so that you might when you come again in judgment, be pleased at this sight. Lord, strengthen our unity so that we might be a fountain that works. In Jesus' name, amen.